You're listening to the Overtime Ireland American Football Podcast. Brought to you in association with OvertimeIreland.com. Now, here's the OTI guys. Hello and welcome back to the OTI Podcast. Myself, Colin Kelly, as always, bringing you the show. And uh, hopefully you're doing well since the last show we had last week, late last week. Joined by Ryan McDowell on that one. Very well worth a listen if you want to go back and check it out. If you haven't heard it already on today's show, I'm going to be joined by Pat Doherty of RotoWorld. You'll know him from his Twitter feed at RotoPat. Looking forward to talking through all the NFL topics of the week with him. Should be a lot of fun coming up in just a little moment. As always, starting the show, iTunes, Stitcher, tune in all the ways you can listen to the OTI podcast. And uh, available in a lot more different formats outside of those three. Those are the three most used ones, along with the streaming option at OvertimeIreland.com. But if you go to OvertimeIreland.com forward slash podcast... All the different ways you can listen to the show and the RSS feed and so on and so forth are all up there. Very, very simple way to do that is overtimeireland.com forward slash podcast. Of course, hopefully many of you are long-time listeners now, loyal fan base going over the last two or so years. And as many of you may have seen on the Twitter feed uh, over the past week, I am in the process of looking for a new co-host uh, heading into the 2016 season. Uh, I've been blown away by all the expressions of interest from a lot of different people and a lot of great fantasy minds and so on. So I'm looking forward to narrowing that down, keeping the search going and seeing where we end up in the next couple of weeks. I mentioned on the previous show as well, lots of good guests coming up over the next month and a half. I'm going to be joined actually this Monday. I'm doing three interviews. There's going to be Evergreen Style interviews and they're going to be coming out over the next three weeks. I'm going to be joined by Christopher Harris of the Harris Football Podcast, Carl Safchek of Dynasty League Football and of Matt Harmond of NFL.com and Reception Perceptions. Looking forward to bringing you all that stuff in the next couple of weeks, and um, hopefully you'll enjoy those episodes when they come out. But today's show, it's Pat Doherty of Roto World, and uh, let's get straight into that now. Hi, this is Greg Rosenthal, and you're listening to the Overtime Ireland podcast. Joined back in the podcast once again by Pat Doherty of Roto World. A lot of you'll know him on Pat uh, on Twitter. <laughs> uh, I'll start. <laughs> <laughs> Joined back on the show by Pat Doherty of RotoWorld. A lot of you'll know him on Twitter as RotoPat. It took me two goes to start that intro, but it always sounds better the second time when you don't sound like an absolute idiot. But um, it's uh, always fun having him on the show, and I'm delighted to have him back on once again. Yeah, it's my pleasure. And I think I think my claim to fame on the Overtime Ireland podcast should be that I'm the only guest that has probably a name that's as Irish Uh-oh. as yours. Uh-oh. So. <laughs> I started uh, the, the last week's podcast with the exact joke because uh, we had on Ryan McDowell, and uh, I oh. said he was an Irish. He is an Irish sounding name, but he definitely doesn't have an Irish accent. So uh, I guess we'll put you on a par. Doherty is uh, well, very. Yeah, very I mean, Irish. you know, you know how it goes in America. There's basically ten times as many Irish descendants in America as there are actual Irish people. So. Yeah, and it's actually uh, my brother actually went over to uh, New York for St. Patrick's Day. He's actually still in New York, so um, you know it is a big thing. Obviously, in America, when you have Irish people going over to New York and over to America to celebrate uh, an Irish holiday, so there's lots yeah. of uh, lots of people in America claiming the Irish ancestry. There is many of them that do have uh, descendants, but then there's some who just like to uh, think they do. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, yeah. The 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 people claiming it, yeah, it grows every year to where there's probably 500 million. There's probably, I was going to make a terrible joke about there being more people, Americans, claiming they're Irish than there are actual Americans. 
And now I just explained the whole joke. So. <laughs> yeah, so I know you're trying to start all your uh, podcast appearances and radio shots uh, this off-season with jokes, so at least we have a joke in there to get it going. And uh, <laughs> we uh, later this off-season, I know they're around the uh, NFL podcast, I often talk about later in the off-season there, different podcasts will be doing the uh, Irish Heritage podcast later this off-season. But let's get into the NFL, and uh, it's time to get excited, Pat. Uh, obviously, the Rams are on hard knocks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we can finally, finally find out how the seven and nine sausage is made. Yeah, you know, get right. to the yeah the bottom of it all. At the bottom of the league's just sub five hundred dynasty. Yeah, let's see what let's see how that there uh, you know the ingredients what goes into making that uh, delicious uh, just below five hundred season each and every year and how Jeff Fisher stays in that job as long as he does and of course uh, you know with the quarterback situation there it, it has to be exciting and compelling TV. Yeah, you know, you're going to make Case Keenum a TV star here. Um, yeah, the Case Keenum thing is weird. Like, the, he there are there are flashes of actual competence with yeah. him. But I do – I mean, I still – you know, Jeff Fisher, he's a very amiable guy in interviews and stuff. I mean, he kind of seems like a guy you'd like to be friends with. But yeah. he is just an inveterate liar. And I still have a very hard time believing they're actually going to go in the season with future TV star Case Keenum as their starter and – my guess is that they probably will draft a quarterback at number 15. And then I've made this joke before. They'll draft a quarterback. They'll claim all summer he's not going to be the starter. And yeah, then no, like yeah. right, like three days before week one, they'll announce he's the starter. Yeah, there's some coaches around the league that I do tend to, if they're talking, I do tend to believe what they're saying. Then there's other ones that I do not believe anything that comes out of their mouth. Jeff Fisher is one of them. He does seem like, you know, with the, well, all the work he does with the competition committee, what he does off the field, he seems to be quite a, a very good guy. But um, just, yeah, I mean, you know, and I, I often think at this time of the year, if a coach is talking, particularly at the league meetings, at, you know, at the combine, if they're talking a lot, usually it's a lot of lies. <laughs> That's a really, really actually great observation because, yeah, if you have a lot to say in March, yeah. the odds, I mean, like over 80% of it will be, even if you don't think it's a lie, if you're saying it in March, like over 80% of it will be a lie by August. So. Yeah, because you can say like, oh, this guy's going to be our starting quarterback. And then if you're in training camp and he looks absolutely horrendous all the way through training camp, uh, he's not going to be your starter come September. Yeah, so. I mean, but, yeah, people have this insatiable demand for like news this time of year. And the NFL very willingly provides it with like endless press conferences. But yeah, I mean, it's just with so much time to go. You know, unfortunately, probably 80 or 90 percent of the Roto World blurbs we're doing right now will just not be true by <laughs> August. And yeah, but you have to keep pumping that content out. And um, I guess, well, this was meant to be like a 30 second thing about Hard Knocks, but I do, I, I do think it's going to be interesting um, to see with the way they've moved to LA, still trying to get used to calling them the LA Rams, but the way that it's going to be, they're going to have three different training facilities throughout the season. Preseason's going to be in one spot. Uh, I think preseason's going to be down uh, with the Cowboys, and then they're going to be in LA and then they're somewhere else then towards the end of the season it's going to be interesting to see just that moving around and how the players adapt to changing cities obviously a lot of them are based in St. Louis at present with that's where the team was and then they're going to have to move up routes and move so it's going to be interesting to see that part of it but outside of that there's yeah, not I mean, a lot to it's been over two decades basically since yeah. the team moved so it will be fascinating and you know as a St. Louis resident I'm just hoping there aren't any pot shots in St. Louis. I'm a very sensitive St. Louis res- resident, so. <laughs> and uh, with it as well, I do. 
I, every time it's announced who's going to be on Hard Knocks, I do bash it. Um, and then when Hard Knocks <laughs> comes around, I do watch each and every episode. So probably be the same yet again this year. On now to another kind of reality TV show that's been going on for probably the last 20 years, and it's the Cleveland Browns. They've signed uh, RG3 to a two-year contract. More more uh, guaranteed money and money in his contract than a lot of people would have expected him to get. But still, you know, if he does prove to, to play over the next two seasons, it is well below uh, what a starting quarterback would get and um any chance that you see this working out for both parties that we see a revival back to that rookie year i don't think we'll ever see what we've seen in year one for rg3 with that world class speed that he had you know the injuries have taken a toll but he is a player very divided on opinion and most people don't like him with his uh, off the field persona all the stuff he you know the advertising and that that he got into in year one but he's a player that i've always uh, liked and i kind of like to root for people who other people don't like unless it's greg hardy <laughs> of course who nobody likes and, uh, <laughs> but uh, rg3 do you think there's a chance for a revival here with the browns i still expect them to take a quarterback uh, early in the draft i mean it's interesting because like uh you know, if you don't like like dig too deep into it, it's hard to think of a worse idea of like this like lightning rod player of Robert Griffin going yeah. to like this kind of fishbowl team or the Browns where you know they've got their fans have this this fatalistic outlook like people wait for things to go wrong before they even know what, before they even know what the move is going to be. People are talking about how it's going to go wrong. So like before they even signed RG three, you have Browns fans kind of concocting RG three doomsday scenarios. So in that regard, it's a horrible mix, but Really, when you think about it, in terms of like his potential landing spots, it's about yeah. as good of a landing spot as possible. Where he gets a guy who he's landing with Hugh Jackson, who's had success with all sorts of talents and you know like a wide variety of kind of different kind of players. And it appears Hugh Jackson kind of went out and personally pursued him, and he's just one of the best talent maximizers in the NFL. And like you said, I mean, I don't think he's ever going to get back to that rookie year form. And you know, as a a friend of mine and a friend of the podcast, Chris Westling, has kind yeah. of said he's a he's like a broken down quarterback basically. He needs to almost be rebuilt from the ground up, and its odds are probably much greater than fifty fifty. We'll never see like another, uh, not, not even this, obviously never an elite RG three again. But we even see a competent RG three. I think the odds are kind of low. I mean, he was hard to watch last preseason. But if it was ever going to happen, you know, I'll take my chances on it happening with Hugh Jackson. And I think, I think all things considered, a very good landing spot for him. Yeah, I, do, I very much agree with you there. And I think as well, he's a player who the talent is obviously there. He showed it in that first year. And, um, you know, he's been so banged up over the last couple of years. I just I think that if you're looking at Cleveland, they're looking at the situation of the quarterbacks they've had in the past. I think it's uh, definitely a possibility. And, you know, he's really going in there to replace... Um, Johnny Manziel, who's obviously out the door, and we'll see what they do in the draft, but I definitely see them taking a quarterback. If not in the first round, definitely in that second yeah, round. I mean, they're gonna have, yeah, they'll definitely add a quarterback, but I just think he's a great mix of Hugh Jackson because yeah. you know, Hugh Jackson, he's kind of he's got a rare mix of coaches where – he he he's definitely like one of those guys. He doesn't take any BS, but he's also he's kind of like Bruce Arians in a way, where he doesn't take any BS, but he's also a player's coach. And I, I think he might be the exact kind of right personality who can challenge Robert Griffin in the right way and kind of not make RG three go into sulk mode, kind of like he did in Washington. Where I, I think Hugh Jackson might have just the right personality to kind of get through to him. Yeah, and I think with all that has happened with him not playing at all last season listening to him talk and i know anyone can talk in a good manner and uh, you know make say the right things for a, a week or so but he seems to have been humbled by the situation that went on in washington and maybe that's a, a good step going forward for him uh, also on the block now josh McCowan, but 
I think we'll probably pass on that. So if you're looking for a quarterback, you can get Josh McCowan or uh, Brian Hoyer moving forward. Which which are you looking to get? Um, gosh, I'm like an avowed enemy, Brian Hoyer, for some reason. I don't know. For some reason, I just have always been. Well, he's just not good, and I've kind of always never really liked the vibe I've gotten from the way Brian Hoyer conducts himself, which is kind of stupid because. I don't know the man, and yeah. I really don't know a lot about him. Um, if I was deciding between the two, they're both kind of injury-prone, but you know, I'll go Hoyer. He's a little younger. He's had he, he's a very streaky where he had kind of a nice, really great run in Cleveland for like half the season two years ago before then he was arguably the worst quarterback in the league the second half of the season. And then, and then last year, you know, he had a pretty solid nine- or ten-game stretch for really kind of imploding in that playoff game, but – Similar talents, I mean, obviously not. They're, they're both bridge quarterbacks, but I think, you know, Hoyer's younger and maybe a little less injury-prone. Josh McCown seems to get hurt almost every time he takes the field, so I think I would lean Hoyer. Yeah, and I would imagine this week that's the most news you'll hear about a comparison between the two. Yeah. <laughs> uh, up next in this one is a strange one. It's uh, Justin Houston of the Kansas City Chiefs. Signed a monster contract last offseason, and he could miss the entire season now. At the end of the season, he had an ACL injury, a knee injury that he played through. Now he's had uh, surgery this offseason. They thought it was going to be to repair a, a torn ACL or a partially torn ACL. Turns out now that it's actually an ACL that doesn't just seem to be functioning in the way that it should, <laughs> and that he could miss six to 12 months so it's it's a very odd injury very strange injury and uh, one that obviously is a Kansas City if you're a Kansas City Chiefs fan you should be very concerned about because he's uh, probably I think he is the highest paid player on that roster it's one of the highest defensive uh, contracts ever signed in the NFL and such a, a talented player and um, what do you think going forward it's just one that you really can't it's hard to hard to put in it. I know. On. I was glad that uh, you were the one who took the crack at explaining the yeah. injury. What I've read about it, I'm like, I mean, so it's not a torn ACL, but your ACL isn't functioning properly. Uh, what does that mean? And certainly has a torn ACL timeline. And yeah, I mean, I don't have a whole lot to add. What you said, I mean, it's obviously a devastating injury. I mean, it's a guy who's two years removed from almost breaking the sack record, and you could argue he's the most important player on the Chiefs. And the Chiefs have a solid enough talent base that I don't think this sinks their season immediately. Yeah. But I think you can definitely not count on him playing. And what you basically need is Tom Bahali to kind of turn back the clock, and you need like some some sign of life from D Ford, which you might not get. But yeah, a very very big injury, very very early in yeah. uh, the season. Yeah, you mentioned Halley. They signed him very quickly after the free agency uh, opened, and uh, you can see now why they obviously knew this news yes. coming down the pipeline. It was a six-year contract, one hundred and one million that he he got uh, last off season. So obviously, from that side, they'll be worried too. It was just a scope that they did in February, and obviously they've known this for some time, but it hasn't healed at all. And when James Andrews, you know the doctor down in Alabama I think everyone knows of him at this point in time uh, if he hasn't seen an injury like this before it's definitely something to worry about so yeah, hopefully, yeah. hopefully we see him back on the field this season but um, it's a very very strange injury and um, one that I've certainly never heard of yeah I mean yeah hopefully it's the last time we hear of it too especially for a superstar like Justin Houston yeah uh, on to the next one, some of the rule changes made at the league meetings this past week. Uh, there's a couple of them that are interesting, but I'm going to let you take a shot at which you find uh, to be worthy of talking about. I guess maybe the all-out banning of the shot block mm. will, in theory, have the biggest on-field impact, but I guess in reality, the shot block was already only legal in like very limited situations, yeah. and I think the league has probably already mostly spiritually moved on from the shot block, so... You know, then, you know, you got the 
touchback coming to the 25-yard line, which is you know, the intention is to reduce returns and thereby reducing injuries, but it seems like everyone seems to think it's going to just uh, it's going to lead increase in returns. <laughs> yeah, and so this is like uh, not really sure I get the reasoning behind that one. And it's only on a one-year trial basis, and yeah. my guess would be it does not survive to year two, kind of like unlike last year where the, the longer extra point has survived. I think this might be an experiment that's doomed to fail. Yeah, I thought as well that, you know, they might have tested it in the preseason and then, you know, if it was successful, yeah. move it into the season. But to just go all in and put it in in the season is a, an interesting one. I think it is going to be that decision whether you try and, you know, do a kind of pooch kicker that in and try and pin them further back or else, uh, you know, it can work both ways. But it's going to be interesting to see in the first couple of weeks of the season because it really could, you know, people talk about game changers. It could change games going forward and um, it was one that I wasn't... Uh, yeah, no, it's weird too. Happen. It's weird too because there could be all sorts of unforeseen ramifications there. Because yeah, you know, I guess if you do a pooch kick down the middle of the field, it'll be a return. But like you know, if you got guys aiming for the sidelines, are we yeah. going to see like a humongous spike in illegal procedure penalties that bring the ball out? To, I think can't remember if it's the I think it's the forty. Uh, I don't know. Maybe it's the thirty-five. But no, it's the forty. Yeah, yeah. This is so. This is definitely kind of yeah. We're going to see like a real. It's turning the kickoffs into basically a laboratory for next season and really not quite sure what's going to happen. Yeah, and you mentioned uh, the chop block as well. I think it's just better to have it completely banned out of the game. But it, uh, I listened to Ross Tucker's podcast during the week and he gave a great explanation that it's basically been banned for the last two seasons. There's only, I think, two yeah. different style of plays that you could use it on. So it makes, makes sense to, to have it gone completely because of the amount of injuries. It basically, if there's somebody's chop block, they're basically at a huge, huge risk of uh, tearing their ACL. So I think yeah. that was a smart. That's a smart decision overall. People sometimes kill the league for making these decisions based on safety, but that's one that probably should have been made five or ten years ago. Yeah, I mean, oh. it's a play. It's literally called the chop block. Yeah, so You're that, trying that to chop somebody's leg in half. Yeah, that it's a dangerous play. So yeah, I'd say it's probably a positive positive development. Uh, next up, we're on to the New Orleans Saints. Uh, Sean Payton, a coach that when it came out at the start of uh, after the season that he was signing or that he was staying on, I was absolutely flabbergasted he would have been one of the ones him and Chuck Pagano I thought were definitely not going to be with the teams this coming season it has come out now that he's uh, signing a five-year contract he's expected to sign it I don't know if it's finally been signed because uh, when he told them at the press conference he was carrying around a briefcase with the contract inside (laughs) saying that he was going to sign it Uh, I don't know (laughs) maybe he's filming a reality tv show as well but yeah it was almost like it was a threat like I've got it and I'm gonna sign it uh haven't done it yet but (laughs) Just yeah, I thought that was yeah, a very odd anecdote. But uh, with Sean Payton staying on for another five years, with the way the Saints have been run over the last couple of years, I just can't see a clear direction with them going forward. Obviously, last season traded away Jimmy Graham, and uh, the, the difference going around. But they, they always seem to be up against uh, the cap each and every year. Um, you know, they've matched the offer sheet uh, for Josh Hill from the Chicago Bears. They've also signed, uh, or they're expected to sign Nick Farley, uh, formerly of the Detroit Lions, and. They just always seem to have themselves really pushed up against the cap and make uh, these strange decisions. It seems to be that there's... I, I just don't really understand their full direction that they plan to go on. I mean, I agree that the Saints often appear to lack direction. And you know, it's a weird situation because you know, in nine years, he's won over 10 games five times. Yeah. And in a lot of respects, I mean, Sean Payton is the most important person in Saints franchise history. Like I mean, yeah. the Saints yeah. Yeah, were a perennial laughing stock until... They got Peyton, and then he got Breeze. And so you can see why, you know, the sides are kind of reluctant to divorce. But it's just odd because 
you know, Peyton, uh, seemed, he seemed, he has seemed tuned out a lot of times. You know, I'm not even sure if his heart has been in it. Cause like, like you said, at the end of the year, I mean, he was look, he was actively looking for another team I mean, they let him basically negotiate with other teams. And, you know, in the past, past four years of Saints football, there's been two seven and nine seasons and then a season where Sean Payton was suspended. Yeah. So I mean, it's just been a very odd era of Saints football here. And, but you know, maybe now his heart, you know, maybe he took, uh, off season of reflection decided he's all in again and he thinks maybe Drew Brees is three or four solid years and I agree that it it looks kind of odd on the surface but you know how often do you fire a guy and then you hire someone who's you know not an upgrade at all and I guess if you're going to bet on someone you might as well bet on one of them he's still a young guy too and you might as well bet on one of the most important guys in franchise history but I agree that it's a move that can backfire. Yeah, definitely. As a you know, as a head coach, he's very talented and kind of an innovator in ways uh, with some of the stuff he's done in his time with the New Orleans Saints. Maybe winning the Super Bowl those uh, years ago, maybe give him a bit of a leeway or a free pass, as you mentioned, with the success he has brought to the team over the last uh, ten years. It's um, you know maybe he's got a little bit of time there, but I was surprised too at the Josh Hill re-signing after they yeah. splashed out and all that money with uh, Kobe Fleener so that's yeah. just what I mean like you, you splash out and Kobe Fleener maybe try and make him your uh, Jimmy Graham 2.0 and then you still take back the uh, guy that it looked like you were very happy to let go yeah and, 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 I mean their, their cap management is probably the Steelers are pretty bad at the cap too but I don't know if anyone's worse at the cap than the Saints and it seems like they're locked into three or four more years of well, they have to extend Drew Brees. He's got a thirty million cap number, so that's like priority number one. But I'm sure that extension will just include some massive cap number, like two years from now. Yeah, they, so. keep, they keep kicking that can down the road, and uh, yeah. they, they, he really held them over a barrel two years ago, and uh, he signed that off-season contract. And I think they're going to be paying for yeah. that long after he's finished yes. playing for them. I, I agree. They often appear to lack a plan, and uh, you know. I have there's no real reason to believe all of a sudden they'll have a great plan. So yeah, I, I agree it's it's a situation that can go either way. Yeah, the only good thing this season, off season they have made a couple of moves that should help that defense a lot over the last two years. It's been abysmal, and uh, I think at least they're moving in the right direction that way. And I'm here yeah. uh, saying that they have no plan, ladies and gentlemen. Your uh, 2016 Super Bowl champions yeah. probably the, the yeah. New Orleans Saints. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they've made a few good draft picks on defense, and you yeah. know, getting back Dennis Allen could be huge. He was he was he wasn't even the coordinator there when he got yeah. hired away as head coach. I think maybe or maybe he was the coordinator for like only one year when he became Raiders head yeah. coach, something like that. But he he kind of seemed to you know almost overnight stabilize that defense when he got promoted to defensive coordinator last year. So maybe retaining Dennis Allen as defensive coordinator would be kind of a down low move that really turns the Saints around. Yeah, definitely. That's a very interesting point as well. A couple other moves, and I probably we don't. Probably probably need to talk about them buffalo bills are going to re-sign leonard hankerson new england patriots are going to sign nate washington i think uh, that's all that needs to be said about that is it <laughs> yeah i mean nate washington you know when a guy's a patriot you know it's like a guy becomes a patriot and they immediately get talked about all off season yeah, but hype, hype he's, uh, he's a semi you know apparently they're going to use chris hogan on the outside they already have Keyshawn martin on the outside uh they're probably going to add this. Being this is kind of what the Patriots do a lot. They kind of stockpile five or six guys at a position. Two of them. Yeah, and yeah. even yeah, even if Nate Washington keeps his roster spot and kind of climbs to the top of that heap, it's hard to see him having more than six, seven hundred yards next season. So he, he, you know, I wouldn't be surprised. If maybe he's a valuable real life addition, but obviously for the 
you know, if we're going to talk fantasy football, I, I don't see any impact there whatsoever. Yeah, and just uh, when we're on the Patriots, uh, may as well bring up the Martellus-Bennett uh, trade. Your thoughts on Bennett? Obviously, going in Rob Gronkowski's uh, the number one tight end. We're never going to look past him. Then you have Julian Edelman as well, and then you've mentioned the guys that are going to be playing uh, outside or in the slot with those two guys. Then you have Bennett now coming in as well. What do you think of uh, Bennett's value this season, uh, either in redraft or dynasty? I think in dynasty it's taking a little bit of a bump, but it's going to be capped by what uh, is there with Rob Gronkowski and depends on how he fits into that uh, New England system. Yeah, you know, Martellus, it's an interesting situation. I'd say, knowing what we know now, that he'll probably be a low-end tight end one. I mean, he's, a, he's one of the better athletes in the league at tight end, and he's a red zone threat. But I mean, last year he had some really bad numbers. He averaged like yeah. fewer than like nine yards per catch. And obviously guys with uh, you know well-known attitude problems have not always fared <laughs> the best in New England. But, you know, one of those guys who had an attitude problem was Aaron Hernandez. So we know... Yeah, we know what happened with him. Yeah, no, so we know what happened to him, but we also know that we've seen in this generation of Patriots football yeah. them have two very viable fantasy tight ends. So I would... Yeah, I mean... They have, you know, they've had such an uncertain kind of totem pole behind Rob Gronkowski with, since Julian Edelman's so injury-prone that knowing what we know now i think bennett will probably be a pretty big part of the offense and i'm comfortable saying he'll be like in that 10 to 12 range amongst fantasy tight ends probably yeah and when you think about it if gronk uh, or edelman did happen to go down it's going, he's going to take a monster spike in value he's a player in dynasty that i owned and i was kind of a little bit worried about him when we got to uh, the end of the season looked like the bears didn't want him because for the last maybe six eight games for the bears and then he went on injured reserve with what wasn't really that much of a serious rib injury that it sounds like um he just seemed to have left he had no interest in playing for the bears so yeah, i think no. maybe maybe a fresh change of scenery going to somewhere where there is kind of a regimented uh, routine like the new england patriots i think uh, it could help him and i'm like more than six weeks ago i'm a lot more positive about his value going forward yeah, I'm, I'm just I'm cautiously optimistic because yeah, yeah, he's a proven much. playmaker. We've seen Tom Brady feature two tight ends before, so yeah, I'm cautiously optimistic. Yeah, another signing uh, over the last kind of 24 hours. Titans have signed uh, safety Rashid Johnson from uh, he's a free agent, obviously with the Cardinals last season. Had a nice year with them. He had uh, 61 tackles, he had five interceptions. Uh, I thought overall he had quite a good season for them. Um, Titans, uh, good move for the Titans. Yeah, I'd say so, but you know the Titans. They're one of those teams. They have a habit of, you know, say Rashad Johnson, kind of a, yeah, he's kind of he's kind of I'd say a league average safety, yeah. and it's one of those situations where you got a guy who performed well in a really great system, and then he gets plucked away by a team who has a, you know, been a really the Titans defense was actually decent last year, yeah. but I'm always leery of guys going from really great situations to really bad situations, and. Yeah, I, I could say it could very easily be one of those moves that ends up having no impact whatsoever. I mean, he's already thirty, and yeah, I mean, it's uh, could, yeah, he's one of those guys he he just get you know benched midway through the mm. season. So I'll, I'll uh, withhold judgment on that one. Yeah, with guys like that as well, you know, with teams like you know, not to buy some the Titans, the Browns, the Jaguars in the past, often they. That's the kind of players you have to target, you know, the veterans looking yeah. for that last contract because sometimes, uh, you just uh, you know, if you're in the prime of your career, you're not looking to play for one of those franchises. Next up, bouncing over to the Carolina Panthers, Ron Rivera has been talking uh, at the league meetings and he's talking about the curfew that he had in you know, a 12, p- uh, 12 a.m. curfew. I don't really count 12 a.m. for a team playing in the Super Bowl as a curfew, but he thinks it was maybe a little bit uh, too early and made the players a little bit tight. What were your thoughts on those comments? It may be interesting. I don't really quite know what to make of those comments in particular, but what I what it made me did make me think is that 
between guys kind of like Bruce Arians and Ron Rivera and maybe even sort of Pete Carroll is that, you know, we're seeing maybe some NFL teams realize that, you know, you can win without having a billion rules or like, you know, when you can win without having five talking points your players are allowed to say and nothing else. Yeah. Where It's almost like these guys are kind of like, you know, we're just starting to see examples again of teams just kind of realizing, you know, this is just a game. We can chill a little bit on like the Cold War paranoia. <laughs> Let, you know, these are grown men. Yeah. You know, obviously we're going to have some boundaries, but yeah, I mean, we can treat these guys like men, and shockingly, the sky does not fall. So that was my takeaway from that. Yeah, I guess that's true as well. But you know, if he had said it was a nine p.m. or ten p.m. curfew, I would have thought maybe that is a little bit early. But you think you could pretty much do whatever you want up to twelve p.m. Uh, the week of the Super Bowl. But I guess um, we'll see if he changes his strategy moving forward. <laughs> uh, he was also talking. You know, he's kind of been a little bit protective of Cam Newton, and um, I've seen a lot of people saying that he was making excuses for him for his attitude after the Super Bowl. I haven't had a problem the whole way through the season really with uh, Newton. You know. I think, as you mentioned, these guys are grown men. They should be allowed to do kind of what they want. He celebrates with the dab. If he scores, he does the Superman celebration. I think maybe his first down celebration's a little bit too much each time he gets the first down. But, you know, I like seeing things like that. Because some players in the league just seem to be a little bit like robots from time to time. And if I lost a Super Bowl, I don't think, I think I'm about getting a bit too old. I don't think I'm ever going to get there as a starting quarterback in the NFL. But if I ever did, I think I'd be pretty pissed off too. And I don't think I would want to answer all that many questions. Um, do you think that the the Panthers are making excuses for him, or do you think it's just another story trying to be written? I mean, I do think to a degree they're making excuses for him. I, mean, I like Cam Newton a lot too, and I don't mind the celebrating. But I, mean, I don't. I don't know if there's any way to describe. It was a, obviously a humongous, crushing moment, but I don't know if there's any way to describe the way he acted other than you know he was just being a massive baby. I mean, let's just let's just get. I mean, he was just being a gigantic baby and you know i'd say i'd say what ron rivera's been doing could maybe qualify as excuse making but yeah. you know for ron rivera his job is to keep his team you know and running at you know its maximum effectiveness yeah. and part of that is keeping his best player happy and if that requires you know making some public excuses then i'd say ron rivera's probably doing the right thing you know i'm sure behind the scenes ron rivera is not making the same excuses he's making in public for cam newton but you know if you can call it excuse making, but it's, it's. I'd say it's not really a bad thing in this instance. Yeah, and you know what else do you, I think? Sometimes when these stories are written, I wonder what else do you expect them to say? Yeah, I mean, what's yeah. the guy supposed to say? Like, oh yeah, you know, he's like, a gigantic baby. Yeah, <laughs> yeah just, my quarterback's a douchebag. Yeah, so I mean, it's like, what's he, yeah, what's he supposed to say? Yeah, so, uh, well, that there's kind of all the news, but we'll jump in a little bit to the, you know, 2016. It's never too early to get started looking ahead to the uh, fantasy drafts. Obviously, we haven't even gone through the NFL draft, but I don't think the first two rounds will be affected all that much by rookies coming in. Those first two rounds, uh, strategy over the last couple of years has varied a lot from player to player, from analyst to analyst, and uh, two years ago, I done no RB. Last year, then the the I picked uh, sixth overall two years ago in one of my leagues. Took Calvin, and we all know he was banged up basically the whole season. And then last year, I was like, oh, that bit me last year. So uh, I went and I took Marshawn Lynch, and uh, <laughs> with the fourth overall pick, and he was banged up all year too. So this year, um, I'm putting probably just uh, put a little less thought into it. But with with the way that the running backs went last year, really outside of Adrian Peterson in that first round, everyone got injured or else, um, you know, had down years. Um, with the, the talent that there is in depth uh, at wide receiver, you know, those top-tier wide receivers, Julio Jones, Antonio Brown, and so on. Um, what's your outlook this year for the, the first two rounds of uh, fantasy redrafts? 
Yeah, I mean, I never try to have a set slogan. Yeah. You know, like, I'm zero RB all the way, or uh, you know, I'm always taking two running backs. But last year, I kind of subconsciously found myself practicing zero RB. And you know, kind of the dark secret of zero RB is that wide receivers are basically almost as injury prone as running backs. Yeah. But the, what you kind of alluded to is, you know, you know the, the high end depth at receiver right now is you know, probably basically unprecedented. And so that, that has definitely made me in recent years more open to taking receivers in the first and second round, which, you know, in the past probably was not something I would do very often. But I'd say this year, I, I, I try to never come in with like a, a slogan in mind, but I, I bet this year more often than not, as opposed to two running backs in the first three rounds, I'll probably come out with two receivers in the first three rounds. And that's not necessarily because, yeah, I think uh, receivers are any safer. I just think that you're more likely to get a really high-end receiver in the second round, probably, than you are a really high-end running back. So, I'll just, I'll, there's just it's so much high-end depth at receiver, and really not that much separation between any of them. That I think maybe this year I'll, I'll be, I'll be in more of a receiver mindset than running back mindset. Yeah, my last, the last four years really, I've tried to. You mentioned there two wide receivers and one running back out of the first three rounds that's kind of what I've tried to do but it's been in different orders on different occasions and uh, this year with you know especially if you're picking in those first five picks there's just uh, you know I didn't mention Odell Beckham in there just the talent that's uh, at the the wide receiver position it's going to be it's going to be interesting to see it's just I think there'll be a little bit of a, a shift change and I think last year is going to help that cause because of uh, the way the running backs all went down but it's going to be <laughs> interesting it's er- early days yet um, by the time we get around to the season we could all be changing around but I do think early days it's going to look like uh, wide receivers early on and um, Pat it's been a lot of fun having you on the show it's always good talking with you all the listeners should be following Pat if they're not already doing dimension it at the start when he come on it's at rotopat and uh, well worth a follow on twitter and uh, you can get all his articles not there but Pat I always like to ask the guests anything in particular that you want to give a, a plug to while you're on um, no, I mean, recently did the coach rankings, which is probably my favorite article to write yeah. during the off season. And write, write. Uh, you could argue it's way too many words to be writing <laughs> on coaches, but it wrote about five to six thousand words on is the NFL. Yeah, so that's out there, and working uh, slower than I would like, but I am now working on the GM rankings, and uh, it's a little harder because you know those, those cases get a little more kind of I don't know if this is the right word for it, a little more esoteric. There's less. There's less concrete evidence to point to with GMs than yeah. you might think. Coach's article is probably my favorite to write in the offseason, so that's out there. And then, yeah, be on the lookout for the GM rankings. Yeah, with the GMs as well, it's always, you know, we look at uh, the Colts, for instance. You have um, Ryan Gregson. He drafted Andrew Luck, and that gives you a lot of extra wiggle room then after that. I don't think he's done a great job outside of that there draft pick, but I think anyone could have made it. But uh, where have you him at the moment in your uh, your GM rankings? Um, Last year, I'm not going to mention where I had him last year, but let's just say it was higher than a lot of people were comfortable. <laughs> and uh, this year, I can't remember off the top. Of my, I, I know he's lower than 20. I think okay. I've got him like in the 20 to 22 range. Yeah, it seems, seems fair enough. Um, but... Let's just say I'm, I've admitted defeat with him this year. <laughs> I think it might actually be lower than that. I could probably just look it up. But uh, uh, no, yeah. the, best, the best way to do it is to tell people to make sure they stay in tune with your Twitter feed and when it comes out, yeah, uh, right, you'll post it up right. and then people can read the whole list. That's probably the best way to do it. Look forward to that coming out in the coming weeks. And uh, thanks a lot for joining the show, Pat. It's it's my pleasure, and uh, yeah, especially since uh, you know I get to I'm speaking to you know my homeland here. Uh, I think it's been well over a century since it was my homeland, but uh, yeah, speaking to the homeland, so it's a great pleasure. Hi, this is Ross Tucker, and you're listening to the Overtime Ireland podcast. 
So that was Pat, it's always good having him on, lots of fun having conversations with him, I really enjoy it when he jumps aboard the show, so uh, hopefully we'll do that again with him later this off-season, and keep following him on Twitter, as I mentioned there, at RotoPat. Um, I always like to try and give a little bit of news of what's going on with me, obviously on the adventure, kind of a lifetime at the moment down here in Melbourne, Australia. This past week went to the opening game of the Aussie Rules season down in the uh, MCG, which is the Melbourne Cricket Ground, 75,000 in attendance. It does hold upwards of 100,000, but uh, quite an experience going to the game, really enjoyed the atmosphere and uh, I always love to try and get different cultures, different elements of different sports in particular. I'm a big sports fan, NFL obviously, but uh, all sports in general. And uh, it was good to, to see some of the action down there, really enjoyed it. Outside of that, it's been a pretty quiet week, obviously. Uh, off work for a couple of days with the uh, Easter season upon us. And I'm uh, really, my work off has been taken up by recording interviews for the next couple of weeks as I'm going on that six-week uh, vacation, which I'm really looking forward to. And um planning that and uh, doing the podcast has been my last couple of days so that's probably all the uh, little bits and pieces that I have to fill you in on for the last week it's been basically podcast work and now I'm off work having a little bit of downtime so as always keep spreading the word of the OTI podcast on social media I do thank you for all the retweets that go out for each and every show and all the different tweets and so on and uh, just keep up the great work supporting the show iTunes Stitcher give us a ranking rating on there keep moving us up those writings and um, that's all my begging done for the show uh, <laughs> thank you very much for your support so until I'm back uh, next week with another show stay tuned to that at Overtime Twitter feed give us a follow on there if you aren't doing so already and until then of course have a good one thank you for listening to the Overtime Ireland American Football Podcast Please follow us on Twitter at Overtime Ireland. Check out OvertimeIreland.com and continue to spread the word. This has been an Overtime Ireland production.